Hello and welcome to Made to Measure, the podcast of the Journal of Trading Standards. I'm Paul Evans. In this week's episode, we're talking about the impacts of the coronavirus pandemic on trading standards. COVID-19 has affected many aspects of our society over the past few weeks, and trading standards is no exception. Against the backdrop of the crisis, scams and profiteering have emerged as some seek to capitalise on others' anxiety and isolation. Meanwhile, trading standards officers are, like so many of us, facing restrictions on their movements and being forced to juggle professional commitments with home and family life. At this difficult time, we ask, what are the criminal activities we need to be aware of? How are enforcers dealing with them? And how does trading standards ensure that legitimate businesses are complying with legislation that was never designed for such an exceptional and unprecedented situation? To answer this, we speak with CTSI Chief Executive Leon Livermore about the practical measures being put into place, while CTSI Lead Officer for Doorstep Crime Catherine Hart explains why we all have a part to play in supporting each other and fighting back against the criminals preying on people at their most vulnerable. I'm Leon Livermore and I'm Chief Executive of the Chartered Trading Standards Institute. Hello, my name is Catherine Hart. I'm the CTSI Joint Lead Officer for Doorstep Crime. And I never thought in a million years that I'd be sitting here in my dining room table in the semi-space of lockdown. Because lockdown seems to be like a word of a film. Like everyone else, I'm sort of juggling, juggling work. We've been a home, been a home teacher, a cook, a counsellor, a mum to my children, as well as doing day-to-day work. Um, it's extreme multitasking. However, we at this profession are really good at reacting to a crisis, but uh, this has taken it to a different level. Well, first of all, Leon, Catherine's already mentioned the challenges of being on lockdown and trying to combine work and, and home life under such difficult circumstances. How has the crisis affected CTSI and trading standards generally in terms of working practices? I think it's two things, isn't it? So the first is how we operate as a company. We saw a few weeks ago that we were likely to go into lockdown and not be able to access the office. So we managed to secure laptops for everyone as part of our contingency plan. So everyone at the moment is able to work from home. And that's proving actually it's working okay. The team have proved pretty resilient, which is great. There's some challenges around where the contact centres we run. Although in the short term, running them off emails is not a problem. But if this goes on much longer, we need to find a telephony solution. And obviously, there's the challenges around uh, social, isola- social isolation for our staff. So, you know, some members of staff work is there. So, you know, work is a very important part of their social life. So we need to make sure that those who are particularly at risk of isolation, we take extra steps to take care of. And then there's the secondary issue about the impact on, on the work we do. So obviously, supporting frontline trading standards officers at this time are doing a, a fantastic and sterling job. But yeah, you know, all, all, all the issues around scams and the increase in scams and, and how that's proliferated just over the last week is is kind of shocking. That that brings extra press inquiries and kind of flow of information and working closely with the National Trading Standards Scams Team, for example, uh, making sure we get the message out, not only to the public, but to our, our members so they, they understand, but also working with kind of government and frontline services to make sure that the you know, the legislation, for example, that's come through on closure and closing businesses has the right guidance and support behind it because the legislation that was in place was never designed for a pandemic like this and a challenge like this. So it's impacted on us as a as an organisation like any other business and then there's it's impacting on our profession. It's best how we can best support our profession 
at this time when they're when they're working really hard to protect their communities. How do trading standards officers fit into the government's guidance in terms of being classified as essential workers? And also has the fact that a lot of businesses are temporarily closed enabled officers to focus more on specifically coronavirus related problems? Yeah, so, so I think I think it's re- yeah, really important to understand that uh, I think by and large, most local authorities have deemed trading standards people to be key, key and essential workers. Now, there's there's new legislation around business closures and perhaps looking at price gouging. So there's there's all the corona uh, related stuff that that's hit us, but we we can't actually take our eye off stuff like food allergens, for example. So yeah, that you know that's a big area, and we and we've seen people die over the last few years. So it's a real it's a real challenge at, at the front line to get that balance that balance right. Bearing in mind as well that being part of a local authority, that a lot of our officers will be called upon to do other duties. So I, I know a few officers around the country who will be sitting in control rooms somewhere because that's the knowledge and experience they've got, you know, for, from dealing with you know things like avian flu and foot to mouth over the years. However, at the same time, you've got that real challenge around the the social distancing and social isolation guidelines. So fortunately, mo- most of the stuff we can do we can do can still be done remotely. And actually, it'd be interesting at the end of this to take some learning about what can be done remotely to support businesses and actually bring businesses into compliance. So my under- my understanding, for example, is a, a, a reasonable proportion of the businesses that are flouting the closure laws are licensed premises. Now, they all sit on a date- database. There'll be a licensing officer somewhere who have that relationship with the licensee. So that's probably the best method to go out because the last thing we want to be doing is, through our methodology of enforcement, is risking spreading the virus even further. So again, you know, this is doing as much as we can pragmatically and remotely to bring businesses into compliance with the current legislation and also make sure, for example, you know, a number of businesses who were, shall we say, doing on-sales, the hotel opposite me, for example, is now doing off-sales of food. And it's just, you know, so that they might need some they might need some support and guidance. So obviously you've got the central resource of business companion that can be pointed to. But it's really important that businesses get the support of trading standards colleagues at this time. The coronavirus crisis has obviously developed incredibly quickly. When do you think you and your colleagues first became aware that it had the potential to affect trading standards? I mean, I think in terms of people analysing the progression of the virus and the impact, I mean, that that was always it was always a an art form, not a not a science. But we took the decision that we looked at the mapping of Italy and we were very much along those lines. So we took the decision that it, it, you know, we should prepare for lockdown. So that's why we invested in remote technology at our, at our end. So, But again, I think it's, it's, a, it's a really delicate balance to get right because you don't want to panic people. And, you know, and, we, and we saw the panic buying where, when some of the messaging went, went out. So it's a really, really difficult balance. But inaction can cause issues and harm to people and taking the wrong action action can. So it's about a pragmatic staged approach. So we took the decision, for example, to invest in IT that if we had to, if we had to shut the office, we could do so very quickly. So we were able to make the decision on a Wednesday that we're shutting the office and the office the office shut on Friday and a, and a, on a Monday morning everyone was everyone was able to work at home. Now we're we're very fortunate in a way that our contracts and our work allows us to do that. Not everyone is able to do that. So we, we do realise what a privileged uh, position we're in. One of the challenges is though, you, you have to keep on top of this and you have to keep on, on monitoring. So we're we're not planning too far in advance because because of how rapidly 
this changes. So we, our plan a week ago would look nothing like our plan today. So we're, we're just planning on a on a week by week basis, working out what's best to do with our team, what's best to do for us to support uh, our colleagues uh, on the front line. We've pulled some extra resources in to make sure we're able to help liaise across local government, central government, and and the profession as, be- as best we can. Recognizing that you know mo- most of our colleagues um, should be doing what they're doing, which is focusing on frontline enforcement and frontline support for their communities and businesses. Well, I actually cannot believe how quickly it developed, both from the medical side of things to the suddenly the amount of despicable people who are out there willing to put themselves and others at risk to exploit the situation. So I think the first one was actually to do with um, the fake face masks that we heard about and then potentially unsafe hand sanitizer, and then the overinflated prices. And it seems like any way to make money, the criminals are onto it. You know, a lot of us are motivated by kindness but unfortunately, some are motivated by greed and they're using every opportunity they can to, to exploit the situation. Leon, as Catherine points out, since the crisis began, there's been an explosion in scams perpetrated by people trying to take advantage of the situation. What are your thoughts on that? My thoughts on, on scams and the scammers are probably not, not publishable. They are just terrible, shocking human beings. And the issue happens, we, ha- we have genuinely just redefined what vulnerable is in this country. We had a perception of vulnerable around age and other infirmities. Actually, I think every, everyone should class themselves as vulnerable at the moment because, because fear, worry, uncertainty makes us all, can make us all make uh, rash decisions. And it's just appalling, the fact that people are trying to profiteer on the back of that. And they move so quickly. And this, this is the challenge we have is, you know, you're, you're, just, you're just put out press on, on one scam and the next one will hit in. And it's really, really easy. It, and it is, you know, it's really easy to fall victims for these. So people shouldn't feel embarrassed about, you know, pressing the wrong button at, at that time. But the, cha- the challenge is then, you know, if you do become a victim, how much support is going to be there for you at the moment? You know, the banks are really struggling. All businesses are are really really struggling to provide provide the support that uh, consumers need so you know if you know if you if you ring up a lot of customer services they're only helping those who are already identified as vulnerable and that's the vulnerable by the government's definition of not being able to go out for the 12 weeks or key workers so it's a real challenge for our profession and this is this is when you know you get the initiatives like friends against scams and, and actually i've got to say fair play to the the National Trading Standards Scams team for the amount of work they've done in a very, very short space of time to get some clear guidance and clear messages out there. And this is where you know, we need to point people towards that one single authoritative voice uh, and say, look, go here for some guidance, go here for some support. So they're keeping that up to date and we're pointing everyone there. And that means you know, there's a real reliance on people to look after themselves and look after, look after their loved ones and their communities at this time because it's, it's, a challenge, it's a challenge to get the public sector to support them at the moment when they're, when they're focused on fighting, fighting the virus. Catherine, what types of scam have you encountered so far during the crisis? Well, there's so many scams that are seen and it seems to be changing daily and my lists are increasing. The most common scams at the moment are fake websites selling products such as testing kits. 
And this is actually likely to increase with the government's announcement that testing kits will become more readily available. We've heard of bogus officials doing the rounds. In my area, we've received information from a nurse who is visiting a patient, and then the patient tells her that she's been contacted by a GP who said they would arrange shopping. Of course, the patient then handed over a shopping list and money and never received anything. We've seen HMRC scams um, and fake government sites offering help, which actually is just either um, collating people's details or collating people's credit cards, taking payments. There's also been um, bogus websites trying to get people to click on links that downloads ransomware putting small businesses as well as consumers at risk. And I've seen people requesting help on social media for, for emergency tradesmen, only to be targeted by criminals. As well as bringing out the best in people, the situation really has made others show the depths to which they'll stoop, hasn't it? Absolutely. You know, whilst lots of communities are helping to pull together, there's an awful issue where there's Facebook requests asking people to highlight whether a person is in need by displaying stickers, ribbons. Um, and unfortunately, that, in, that encourages the, and I'm really struggling not to swear here, the despicable lowlife who will exploit who will exploit the situation to take advantage of, of the elderly. Um, also, whilst more and more people are staying at home and we are isolated from our elderly parents, unfortunately, this has become a time when the telephone calls have become more prevalent so, you know, if you think about it, you've been on your own for days and days and weeks and weeks and barely seen anybody. And so all of a sudden the telephone goes and somebody's willing to speak to you. And, you know, deep down you shouldn't. But before you know it, you're engaged and you're actually sucked in. Since most of us are very restricted at the moment in terms of our movements, how can trading standards tackle this sort of scam effectively? It's a hugely challenging situation to deal with the issues around consumer protection and scams at the moment. And, it, and the approach has to be a blended one. So the starting point is consumer information, consumer knowledge, consumer empowerment. And that's where, yeah, that's where the work of the, the, uh, the Friends Against Scams and National Trading Standards Scams team comes into play. There's some issues around clarity of law. So, you know, so we've been working, uh, Philoen has been working with colleagues in central government to make sure there is clarity about what premises can and can't close and making sure that, you know, there's education, training and support for frontline officers when, when they do that. And that's that's been a very busy week trying to sort that out. But also there's, you know, some lack of clarity around some of the legislation. So when you're looking at things like price gouging, yeah, you know, the, the law the laws we have in place were never ever designed to deal with that. So we've been working very, very closely with the Competitions and Markets Authority and colleagues in Bayes, and we've now got a, a leading set of chambers looking at that for us to try and see, actually, can we use the current legislation to deal with this? Because if we can, let's go and use it. If we can't, then government can turn that around very, very quickly in emergency legislation because it looks like you know, these pressures are going to be here for, for quite a while. I'd, I'd also say there's, there's that art of gentle persuasion as well. So I know a number, a number, a number of authorities, you know, regardless of what the law says, have been asking their office, uh, you know, asking their officers to make contact and just persuade people to do the right thing. And I, yeah, and and yeah, there there is a, there is a sense because I don't sometimes think the businesses understand the impact they're having 
when, when they behave as appallingly as, as they behave. And actually, I really, really hope that you know, we get a new set of values at the end of this and consumers begin to vote with their wallets about those businesses that have treated, but not only them, but their workers correctly. And you, you, you know, you, you've seen that. You've seen that in the press, how some businesses have acted very responsibly. Actually, the vast majority of uh, businesses have acted really responsibly and have done the right thing by their customers and there are a few there are a few that haven't and those few should suffer in the long term by consumers turn it turning away i just think that it's such a difficult and frustrating time because we know it's happening yet we're unable to get out there and do something physically about it because we're actually in this profession because we actually care so we want to get our hands on these people. I know I do. But at this moment in time, all we can do is continue to put our messages out to the media, to the local papers, prevention advice, um, and we need to share the messages far and wide. But we also need to encourage people to report what's going going on because it's very difficult sometimes. We need to get people to, to report it, and we know doorstep crime has always been unreported. Again, it's difficult times for our trading standards colleagues as well because we need to share amongst ourselves. I mean, thankfully, the National Scams team have just put out um, a partnership pack that I'm really hoping that that will help professionals um, sort of communicate a little bit better. But I'm really fearful that the that there's going to be other frauds out there as well that was going to target uh, our teenagers and school children. And actually, this is something that we haven't really tackled particularly so much uh, in the past because we tend to concentrate on elderly and vulnerable people. So these are things like the dodgy apps asking for money, the education sites promising qualifications. Now, bearing in mind, the government has said that the qualifications are now going to be based on, on coursework and uh, mock exams, and that obviously doesn't suit a lot of people. So I think there's going to be an awful lot more education sites um, with with these scams. I've also seen exercise sites asking for money. They're basically, they're all old site, old scams, rejects for for days um, situation. But my worry is that you know, as I say, doorstep crime has always been unreported, and because of the situation, I doubt that we'll actually see the true statistics of what's happening, particularly the physical, psychological, and the financial detriments to our communities and small businesses. And what about other enforcement bodies or the police? Do you get the sense that they're aware of these issues? I think given the current climate, then the priorities of other enforcement agencies are very much about stopping the spread of this virus, which is correct in doing so. However, we're also aware of people who were were at risk before, they're now even more so at risk. I mean, and it is so difficult for us as professionals. As I say, we, we want to get in there, um, go in guns blazing with a proper kick-ass manner, you know, with these criminals. Um, and I'm hoping that, you know, if we can get that information shared to us, that, that when it's when it's all over, we can actually go in with, with guns blazing and take the, a lot of these people um, to, to court and try and do something about it. You know, at this at this moment in time, with our resources, treating standards resources that are pretty, pretty scarce, never mind the police and other enforcement agencies, we just have to try and work together somehow to, to have some sort of coordinated response. This is why we need the local communities, we need our local councillors to spread the message, but it needs to be a consistent message 
we need to spread in the, the messages from the government as well and just making sure that, that as much information can go out there but also encourage people to try and feed in that information whether it's using the CMA or the um you know the advice uh, hotlines that citizens advice I really don't care but I'm just wanting as much information as we can so we can react to it when we're in a position to do so have you noticed any regional variations in the types of scam being perpetrated has there been much of a difference between urban and rural areas for example well, it's actually quite rare because you do quite often see sort of regional, as you say, or rural type scams. But actually, this is just taken. It's 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 a it's over the board. It's over the borders. It's the same sort of scams all over the place, and it's just again, it's just these despicable low lives trying to take advantage of the situation. So, um, it's unfortunately it's sort of the common. Um, scams that we've seen before. And what about things like bogus home repair services during the situation? Is that something you're paying attention to? So, so what we're finding is that the um, people are putting on sites saying that, saying that they're needing help, but actually known criminals are then answer, answering that and um, saying that they can help out. And of course, you know, if you see that as a as a trading standards officer, you can you can report it to the police, but it's very difficult to actually do do anything about at this moment in time. You know, I certainly couldn't put a personal message out there going, "Don't touch him with a barge pole." I would like to believe you me. I would like to do that. Mm-hmm. So, unfortunately, what we're seeing is that um, there are you know a lot of dodgy people out there exploiting the situation. So we're trying to put out the message that. You know, you should only use trusted traders. You should only use people that you've you've known before. I mean, word of mouth is still a great thing, but obviously we're not in the position now where we can say, go and get three quotes, bide your time. So what what the message is, is only use tradesmen if you're in absolute dire need and it is actually an emergency because a lot of the cosmetic things, it can just wait. You know, people have got to be a little bit more patient about these things because the other thing as well is that you have a tradesman to your house how do you know he's not a carrier you've got to you know everybody's got to be very very careful and a little bit more cautious and what about the issue of profiteering from goods that are in high demand at the moment it's absolutely disgusting that people, you know, we've heard of people who are stockpiling essential goods. You know, we talk about the the black market and it does seem to be that people are actually ready to form this black market again. The, the unfortunate thing is it is going on. It's almost like it's almost like an illegal money lender so like turning up at the door going, yeah, I've got some toilet roll here, you know, just a, just sort of, you know, five pound a roll. It is actually going on. We sort of laugh about it, but it is actually going on because people People are desperate. People are stuck at their houses and they're not going out. But we need to put out this message that you know supermarkets are working to to tackle the situation. There's also a lot of charities and a lot of social care organisations to to help people who are actually in need. We also need to look at this over you know the, these overinflated prices on essential goods as well. A lot of the small businesses are doing that. They use it, they're saying it's an excuse because their prices are going up, or you know that they're, they're they're in a situation where they're they're not able to have the supply to their demand. 
but we actually need to have a look at the legislation framework to to tackle this because it's a very very it's a grey area for us at the moment. Um, and it's again, I, I hate the idea of anybody taking advantage of this crisis that we're actually in just now. Leon, looking ahead, what kinds of things do you think might be around the corner in terms of what trading standards need to be aware of? You've got a variety, of course, for concerns. So you've got the you've got the outright criminals and the outright rogues, and, and we've already spoken about them. But then you've got the, I suppose, the growing businesses that are trying to fit with the new reality of social isolation and and the virus. So so you may well see um, people trying to set up as you know. Yeah, for for all for actually for all the right reasons as you know, as you know, distance selling companies, as takeaway businesses to help support the community. So I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna question their motives because you know, because they're probably really doing it for for the right reasons. But like I said, we have seen the issues of food hygiene, but also really food allergens and the impact that that can have on individuals in terms of, you know, if you've got food allergen, it's potentially fatal. So it's really trying to remember there are some basic protections in law around food safety and food standards, for example, that, that need to be in play. And we've already seen, you know, we've already seen colleagues up and down the country. You know, I was reading about colleagues in Birmingham uh, t- today about them them taking some potentially unsafe hand sanitizer off the market. So again, you know, we, we have we have a particular set of standards in this country that, that serve as well. Consumer protect our consumer protection policy and legislation framework is is very sound actually. So it's really, really important that in this rush to get things out, we understand what are the key protections that we need to keep in place, such as allergens is a really, really good example, such as product safety, and those that perhaps we can I wouldn't say turn a blind eye to, but deprioritize. So, so a really good example early on was early conversations before they brought in the legislation with colleagues in DEFRA about deprioritizing the enforcement of you know single-use carrier bags on online deliveries. Because obviously the last thing you want is someone having to go in someone's house to drop the shopping off. And it's little things like that that yeah, yeah, you suddenly think, actually, we hadn't thought about that. So, you know, so again, we were really grateful for colleagues in DEFRA and, and we worked across the supermarkets group to make sure that that was put in place very, very quickly. And, and a little thing like that can, can really help protect people in their own home. So, that, so, there's some, so there's some issues around that, but also there's, you know, let's be clear, there's going to be some long-term challenges and some long-term issues. So we know, we know that loan sharks love times like this and they'll be, they'll be, they'll be preying on people who are, who are vulnerable. So at the moment, you know, the, the, the things that the government have been put in place I think make make people potential targets of scammers, as as the government will have to at some point um, remove some of that financial support because that cannot go on forever. That's when we need to be really really careful that the loan sharks don't step in because we we've seen we've you know you, you know our hero wars every year are full of um, victims of loan sharks who you know turned the corner and, and come and spoken about it, but we know the impact that like, these. You know, reprehensible people these loan sharks can have on people so you've got the short-term immediacy of of the challenges around responding to the emergency uh, making sure that you know businesses are shutting when they have to that you know we're tackling scams in partnership with you know friends against scams and national trading standard scams team but we're also putting some integrity into the supply chains to make sure you know food and products are safe so so that's so that, that real immediacy of that challenge but then as this goes on, there'll be some there'll be some long-term challenges that we haven't even thought about now, to be blunt. But there will be some challenges around loan sharks, about how you support businesses getting back up on their feet, 
And we do know, you know, we do know that when businesses struggle financially, they are more likely to cut corners. So again, it, it's really a challenge for regulators then because it's about getting that balance right that we can support business growth, uh, but do it in a way that's safe and fair. So you don't want you don't want the the tick box jack, you know, size ten jack boots approach. But you have to, but there are some real there are some real fundamental protections that we need to make sure remain in place as we help UK PLC recover, and I, and I, and our members will have a key role in, in doing that. And Catherine, in terms of the types of thing you think might be around the corner, you've already mentioned scams around things like education and exercise. Is there anything else on your radar? I mean, unfortunately, the you know the scams are daily evolving. I wish I had the mind of a criminal because then I could actually try and get the prevention advice out there before it actually happens. I'm just trying to sort of look from you know I have teenage yeah, children yeah. and uh, and an eight year old here, and I'm just seeing what she's on on a daily basis. You know these reading sites and teaching apps and all sorts of things like that. And um, as a parent, I can't monitor that 24 hours a day. You know, I, I am sort of sitting here doing my own work as well. So it really does concern me because I, I just feel that um, I, I think that we, we as parents are going to end up with, with bills left, right and centre if we're not careful. What can members of the public do to help safeguard themselves and their neighbours against these scams? I think that communities really need to stick together this, this moment in time. I've seen some amazing um, sites that have been, social media sites that have been put up, looking at their neighbours. People are actually talking to each other, which is fantastic. The local councillors are trying to do their best. Um, we're trying to signpost people to um care organisations, um, making sure that they're, they're getting the right sort of help. That And there is a lot of help that is available to them, trying to warn people from the sort of more dodgy sites. It's, sometimes it's very difficult. So, you know, we, we are trying to put that... To, to, to put that message out there. But also from a professional point of view, um, with with the information that the now is coming out for the National Scams team, I think that, you know, that's fantastic as well because it actually shows the professionals what advice that we should all be putting out on um, some really good tools and, and how we can actually do, do that. And what about advice to others in trading standards? It's very, very difficult for us to actually, you know, to get ahead of the the criminals. So the the advice really is to 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 read what um, the scams hub are putting out as well and feed back into them as well. We've got to share this information as as we've got to share this resource as as professionals we've got to share it with each other so i'm happy to be a conduit for that and pass it on to to the national scams hub and the police as well we've got to keep on working together because we've all got a job to do here leon do you think when this is over there'll be some long-term positive changes in terms of relationships between businesses consumers and trading standards when we come out of this and, and, and we will come out of this we will hopefully have a different set of values and a different set of things that that are important to us so that sense of you know seeing those businesses that trade ethically and fairly and look after their staff and customers you know you, you you've really really seen them get really really good publicity those businesses that haven't done that uh, haven't haven't been treated as as fairly in the press so you hope that that ethical sense carries on there will there will be let's be blunt People have said you can't do certain things remotely. We're now having to do them remotely. 
So it'd be really interesting as a society about how we capture that and how we take that learning forward. So, for example, we, you know, we're meant to be having our on-site audit this week. We're doing that remotely and people said you couldn't, but we're learning and adapting. So again, you know, that, that ability to interact and give people guidance remotely is really, really important at the moment. So hopefully, hopefully we can then take some of that learning with us about how we, how we support those businesses. So, yeah, I'm really, yeah, genuinely, it's, it's about, about reassessing what's important in society. It's about reassessing um, what's important in the way businesses trade and treat us. And then it's re- reassessing what the priorities are for our profession and then how we can engage properly and, and continue that journey about seeing businesses as part of the solution as, as we regrow the UK economy together. There will be some positives that come out of this crisis because, yes, you you know, the, the communities are joining together. People are actually listening. People are sort of spreading links, not the virus, you know. They're, they're now sort of, they're, they're listening to one another. But what I found really encouraging is that the amount of support that's actually out there for elderly neighbours or people that they didn't know existed now are getting help and support that they perhaps didn't have before. Communities are much more resilient than we actually think. I think in the past, people have lived in their little silos and their houses, not really aware what's going on in the street. But all of a sudden, people are talking to each other. You know, they are looking out for each other. And I think that's actually positive. But even spreading news stories spreading good news stories and spreading the bad news stories is actually it's actually a really really good thing because i think it will bring communities much you know better together finally then leon do you have any words for others working in trading standards about how we're all going to get through this crisis it's very very tough times and it's a very tough tough situation but you know we're looking at other countries who are slightly earlier than us on, on the, the journey, and we've seen how we've seen how they they've come through. But I'm just, you know, I'm just immensely, you know, I've, I really have always been proud to be the CEO of my professional body. But seeing what our members do, our colleagues, you know, I see I see some of the email chains. I'm on some of the WhatsApp groups, and I, and I see I see the efforts they're putting in to be relevant at this time. And I think hopefully. Hopefully, we've proven a point. You know, actually, hopefully, the public sector has proven a point to politicians uh, and voters that it's really important you invest in us properly. You know, to make you know at a time like this. But but the ability, time and time again, for for, for trading standards officers to turn their hands to whatever's needed to protect their communities and support businesses has shone through over the last couple of weeks. And I, I am I am immensely proud. And that that adaptability and that that focusing on providing practical solutions and getting things right is really, really needed now, but it will be needed as we recover. And hopefully our mem you know, and I, I am confident that you know, both politicians, both locally and nationally, will recognise the value of what what we do and the value of what trading standards professionals do up and down the country, and actually give us the recognition we deserve. And that's it for another episode. Thanks to Leon Livermore and Catherine Hart for talking to us, and thank you for listening. We'll be back again soon with more from the world of trading standards. If you have any ideas or suggestions for the podcast, or you just want to get in touch, send us an email to madetomeasure at jtsmag.uk. Don't forget to like and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you're listening to us. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.